This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live Podcast. Real talk about talent acquisition, recruiting, sourcing, and hiring. With the godfather of sourcing. And now, welcome to Shally's Alley. With your host, the legend of legends, the big Bahumi, the salt in your shaker, Shally Steckerl. Time and time again, you read articles and surveys and polls that talk about what's important to a CEO. And talent is always on that list, very frequently at the top of the list. Talent is the most important uh, priority or the highest priority for CEOs. You'll see surveys from you know, Pricewaterhouse and consulting firms and so on. But except for the very rarest of organizations, recruitment is a reactionary role. It's like hit the panic button and go find me a candidate because we just had a vacancy. Despite the fact that you've been grooming that person for promotion for years and now they're finally being promoted, you probably knew that this was going to happen, but you wait until after the person's been promoted. Now you have a vacancy. Now is when we need to start recruiting. So why aren't we planning for that? Because like I said, we are reacting. We're not operating in in a forward-thinking mold. We are just surviving under all the pressure from the hiring managers and job seekers and our managers, et cetera, inundated with urgent but seldom important requests. This is going to be a fire drill that we're always going to be under unless business leaders really get that the old ways of rejecting people's resumes by just looking at them are gone. We don't do that. That, that, that resume existed in, you know, as a response to too many candidates after the war, after the Second World War. And people had to, you know, managers had to reject candidates by the truckload. So they needed a fast way to do it. And that's how the resume, a one-page resume was born. So in these articles, you'll hear about, or you'll read about the top four growth objectives for most CEOs. The top four growth objectives for most CEOs include items like penetrating emerging markets, new markets, basically, gaining sustainable competitive advantages, innovating new products so that they can become more relevant or add value, managing resources efficiently and reducing cost and maximizing ROI. Funny how hiring is the largest common denominator on all of those priorities. And to hire, you frequently have to source. So why is it that during the strategic planning process, when leaders talk about the raw materials that they need, the salespeople that they're going to need to sell their products, the marketing people, the operations people, they don't talk about their recruiting people. They talk about how many people they want to hire, but they don't talk about how many people they need to hire those people. It's almost like an afterthought. Like, oh, we have 2,700 hires we need to make this year. Let's go find some recruiters to do some of that. But they never think about, well, how many, you know, recs can a recruiter carry? Do we need to source? Is there a faster way to do? Is there a better way to do this? And on top of that, we're not really being proactive about training that recruiter or giving them tools. In fact, what I hear most of the time is we need to do more with less. They're cutting our budget. They're cutting our budget. They're cutting. I never hear, hey, they increased our budget this year. It's always they're cutting their budget. Somewhere out there, there's a company that, you know, is increasing their budget, but I haven't found it. I think what it is, is that at the beginning, you don't really have a budget. They just give you a bunch of money and then they start cutting that money back. <laughs> so you get like a, a blank check and then they start writing you a smaller check every time after that. But let me tell you what the six pieces are 
that you need in order to really make recruitment and sourcing strategic. These are the six components that will turn recruitment into an integrated strategy that is going to elevate you from being just a tactical cost of doing business to something that is more of a capital investment. Those six pieces are, number one, you need a team architecture that makes sense. Got to understand what your organization needs. Do you need dedicated sourcers? Do you need dedicated recruiters? Yes, we should have dedicated sourcers, but not every company needs them because not all every, not every company has recs that all require sourcing. So what percentage of your recs require sourcing? How do you define that? You define that through measures like how long have they been open, how many candidates are applying, those kinds of things. So figure it out. How many of your recs, percentage-wise, need sourcing? Then you can figure out whether or not you need dedicated sourcers or not. Do you want a centralized or decentralized? Do you want a field recruiting model? Do you want a hybrid? If you're willing to be flexible strategically as an organization and allow for a centralized but remote recruitment and sourcing function, you'll have access to far better, more talented recruiters and sourcers than you would if you force your people to show up to the office nine to five because fewer and fewer people are willing to show up to the office nine to five for a number of reasons. So you might actually get better recruiters and better sourcers and more bang for your buck if you're open to more of a centralized model that allows for telecommuting. But you might need a decentralized model. There's a definition for why you would need a decentralized or centralized model in my book, the sourcing workbook that we, that we have um, for sale on my website. It's called The Sourcing Method. I'm not trying to get you to go buy that, but you know it's a long explanation, several chapters. So <laughs> sit tight while I explain that in the book. And I'm not going to do that on this radio show. Let's think about it this way. You need decentralized teams when you have lots of distributed workers, multiple locations, and verticals that are very varied. If your verticals are integrated and they're interrelated, then centralized is probably better. Another time that you might need decentralized is when you simply have silos with budgets that don't cross-pollinate. So, you know, this business unit funds everything for themselves and there's no core funding. You don't really have core funding, say, for HR Center of Excellence or talent acquisition programs. Then you might need to consider decentralized. But even if you have a decentralized model, you can still utilize economies of scale and create sharing amongst the sourcers. So a sensible team architecture. Number two, you need to source from competitors. Some of the talent that you want is already working at your competitors. Go to those companies, and they don't have to be competitors that make similar products or sell similar services. They're competitors that hire similar people. For example, both banks and manufacturing companies need accountants. So just because you need to hire an accountant doesn't mean you hire an accountant from a company that does exactly what you do, as long as they understand the type of accounting your company does. So look for that kind of competition. And go there. Just start with that. You don't need to be a master researcher to identify a couple of companies that hire people like you do and then go after people that work at those companies. Number three, you need actionable analytics. Metrics that demonstrate ROI. A lot of staffing leaders feel they have the wrong metrics. Some of the surveys I've read is, uh, some of the surveys I read say that up to 60 or 70% of staffing leaders feel that they just have too many metrics, they're confusing, they don't make sense, leadership doesn't really understand them. Sometimes they don't even understand the metrics or they don't 
know how to make sense of it. So just measuring something doesn't really mean anything. You've got to make sense of it. So if you've got metrics that are actionable, I would say scale back. Just measure three, four, five things, and that's it. Start with that. Once you figure that out, then you can add more metrics. But a lot of times what I see is really big metrics with like lots of different measurements, and it doesn't really mean anything. So cut down on your metrics and make them really actionable. Number four, responsive career websites. A lot of websites, even today, I still see this. You wouldn't believe some of the things that I've seen in my travels as a consultant. Websites that require you to register before you apply. You have to have an account in order to apply. Come on, really? You can't apply unless you have an account? Websites that won't work on a mobile phone? What is it, 1980? Or websites that don't have integration with other applications? Uh, I've seen career websites that require you to choose drop-downs and click on heat maps before you can get to the, requis- to the requisitions or the job requirements. If I, gotta, if I had to dig through three pages of stuff just to get to the job posting, no wonder nobody's applying for your jobs. Just saying. You know, you land on the page and you've got to click on a map. What country are you in? You click on the United States and then you land on another page that says, what industry are you in? And you click on whatever, accounting. Now you land on another page. Then that page has a bunch of drop-downs and some keywords and you've got to type stuff in in order to get the results. So you're four pages in and you haven't actually seen a job posting yet. Way, way too much layers. Number five, sustainability. This is where the knowledge sharing, the center of excellence comes in. You need a champion, a subject matter expert, to collect the information and archive it and present it for the next generation. You're going to lose recruiters. They're going to get promoted or they're going to leave. And these recruiters have industrial knowledge about your company, your competition. They have institutional knowledge about your culture, about your hiring managers, and they're going to just take that with them. You need to retain that so that the next recruiter takes less time ramping up and the one after that takes less time and the one after that takes less time. And this information should also include what channels work, what search strings work. Archive your intake forms, archive your search strings so that they can be searched. You can use SharePoint or whatever, even if you just have a folder somewhere. Doesn't matter, as long as you keep that information somewhere where we can, you know, reuse it. And number six, my favorite, you got to develop your recruiters. And I mean develop, like actual learning paths, education, not just send them to a free webinar or, you know, a few tips here and there in a blog post. That's not developing. That's just reading. I mean, put development into your strategy. Put a budget item in there for it. Hire outside experts that this is what they do. They're professional instructors that have curriculum. There's a lot of companies out there that, that I see that do videos, video training, but they don't have curriculum. So a company buys access to this platform with a bunch of videos in it and then, and then assigns the you know, platform to the recruiter. The recruiter goes in there and goes, uh, where do I start? What do I click on first? Which course should I take first? So then they don't know what to do, and then they search. They go, all right, well, um, I want to learn about Facebook. So they type in Facebook, hit enter, and they see a bunch of videos about Facebook. But not once did anybody ever stop to think, is this person actually going to need to use Facebook? Are the kind of candidates that they're looking for on Facebook? Do they really need to know this? Maybe there's an hour or two better spent on, I don't know, improving their deliverability of emails. Not a fun subject and kind of boring and dry, but it's going to improve their efficiency and optimize their recruiting much faster than 
two hours learning about Facebook. Unless, of course, their candidates are on Facebook. But nobody's asking that question. They're just sending the poor recruiter into a you know, menu, uh, a la carte menu. It's kind of like when you go to the grocery store because your kids sent you to get cereal and you didn't ask what cereal they want and you're going down the cereal aisle and there's thousands of variations. Sugary, non-sugary, whole wheat, corn, you name it. And, and you get analysis paralysis. Well, the same thing happens when you, when you give a recruiter access to a smorgasbord of training videos. They don't know which one to choose. Are they going to make the best choice? Are they going to buy the box that's pretty and fun that doesn't have any nutritional value? Or are they actually going to buy the healthy stuff? The answer to that question is they're going to go for the Frosted Flakes because it's pretty and cool and trendy, but it's going to give them zero nutritional value when they really needed to go for the, you know, whatever, granola or fresh fruit or something. So you've got to give them that curriculum, that development path. And those are the six pieces that you need in order to really make recruitment part of a CEO strategy. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at RecruitingDaily.com.